been been. Dead, 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 dead. Love, love, Lee, Lee, Lee. Pod, 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 pod. Cast, 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 cast. I'm scared. <laughs> it's pretty spooky. Oh. You know, I, I think that we're doing this in response to the fact that somebody recently uh, uh, rated and reviewed our podcast on iTunes, which I hugely appreciate, but commented that this wasn't exactly a horror podcast because we didn't sound scared. Which <laughs> <laughs> I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> you know, the thing is that he doesn't know our regular voices. Normally, we sound much manlier and less afraid. Absolutely so. Absolutely so. Welcome to a brand new installment of Dead and Lovely, your absolute favorite horror movie review podcast. Not just straight horror podcast, but horror movie review podcast in all the known galaxy. Here with your host with the most, me, Uncle Ben, and who's that handsome, handsome, not even sort of scared voice I got on the other end of this phone call here? Stevel Juice, Stevel Juice, Stevel Juice. <laughs> it's me, Steven Spratling. Well, welcome to the sickest podcast you'll listen to this week. I am currently suffering a a severe Tennessee fall allergy beatdown where I, I haven't really been able to breathe very well for the past several days. Meanwhile, Steve, what are you afflicted with out there? I am currently recovering from a no good, very bad flu. So, uh, oh, mercy. We are old men. I think this is three weeks in a row we've talked about our ailments. <laughs> I think that you're right. I think this has just been like the weekly check in on like what we've been watching and what our ailments are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh, What's your Metamucil intake like these days, Steve? Oh man, not as much as my Werthers, but definitely <laughs> a lot. The Werther's intake is at an all-time peak. Uh, you got it. You got to be eating Werther's. Nobody's going to believe you're old. I've been uh, really noticing a very largely increased consumption of my ribbon candy quantity lately. Oh, yeah. Some ribbon candy that you've had sitting on your table just getting dusty for years. Vintage. New old stock ribbon candy. You know what I realized about that the other day? The reason it was sitting there on the table and it hadn't been eaten in years is because your grandparents didn't like it. <laughs> like, well, this shit sucks. We just assumed they did like it because they had it, but they didn't like it because it was just sitting around for years. Do you think it would be really cool if there was like this super hipster trend to buy like new old stock, you know, like grandparent ribbon candy from like foreclosed homes and stuff like this <laughs> like government sees homes where they're like oh here's this tin of old candy that we found uh, or like an old dish of candy that we found the depression glass yeah they put it in some depression glass and set it out yeah that yeah. sounds pretty hipster yeah and they buy it and they fucking sample it probably make youtube videos like unboxing videos of it and stuff like that and make more money than either of us yeah obviously fuck the world <laughs> well, other than being all down with the sickness disturbed style, how you been out there in them Hollywood Hills this week, Steve? Um, you know, honestly, because I've I've been so sick, it's been a lot of sleeping. But uh, the weather is it's great. It's mm -hmm. cooled down. Been walking my dog around. Oh, yeah. uh, old Salem you T. Know, Boogans. Salem T. Boogans just walking around having stubby legs. Oh, old stubby yeah. leg McGee there. It's adorable for sure. Uh, what have you been up to, Ben? Man, I've been doing all kinds of stuff lately. Actually, this week has been super, 
uh, super busy, but I had a really cool day today where I went and got together and had another rehearsal with a ridiculously fun cover band project. I mentioned this on a, an episode a week or two ago, but uh-huh. uh, myself and my main man, Andy Wood, who is just one of the most fabulous guitar players in the world today, are yeah. uh, going to be playing in an 80s hair metal cover band called Skank Banger. <laughs> and it's the best. This is awesome. It's yeah. the best. We got together today and uh, ran through the set, practice and stuff, and it is it is just way too fun. It's like, I don't know, we're, we're having a blast playing these, you know, ridiculous 80s hair metal tunes by like Def Leppard and Rat and um, Poison and all that kind of stuff. Dude, it that's is awesome. a total blast. I mean, I say that I'm playing in it, but what I really mean to say is that Davey Stranger is playing in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the strange one, he and Ben are so interwoven, it's hard to pull you apart. I have a hard time telling where one ends and the other begins. Yeah, I think it's probably the mascara. <laughs> yeah, that's what really ties it all together. So Yeah. I've been good. I've been teaching a fucking shit ton lately here, man. I've been teaching my damn dick off. Oh, man. Just yeah. fucking laying a, a strong hand to those kids. Like, hey... E, not D, damn it. Uh, I don't know to what reach you say. These kids. <laughs> yeah, you really have to. You stand and deliver them. Yeah, pretty much. Have you been watching anything while you've been laying up on the couch being all sickly? Boy, I'll tell you what. We, uh, uh, because you have been talking about it recently, my mm-hmm. wife and I decided to start, uh, rewatching Seinfeld. Oh, fuck yeah. Strong move. That's what I was doing yeah. right before we started this, uh, this episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. Still, I mean, it's still great. Yeah, <laughs> it really, it really just captures the ah, fuck it, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's just like this real nihilistic feel to it. Like everything's funny, just laugh and uh, don't worry about it. Uh, I really enjoy it. I think one of my favorite things about the show is how self-centered all of the characters are yeah. like there's all terrible yeah it's like there's scenes where you know it'll be the four main characters in a room together and you know jerry will be talking about something that go- that's going on in his life and then like kramer will respond to something completely relevant that's just his storyline and uh-huh. then elaine will talk about herself and it's uh-huh. like nobody really cares about each other they're all just together talking about yeah. themselves because they're all kind of assholes <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it Always Sunny uh, works off of that same formula, and totally. it, it works great. It's so fun because you don't find yourself caring too much about what happens to the characters. Like, if, if bad things happen to them, it's like, good, <laughs> this yep. is a bad person. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I love it so much, man. We just got done watching the um, the 100th episode, which is like a clip reel kind of episode, you know? Uh-huh. But still had some good lols in there. It's still good. All right. I've been watching a bunch of stuff lately, man. We watched, uh, of course, you know, as as we record this, it's at the late September kind of kind of scene there. So my wife and I have started watching through a bunch of Halloween horror classics. We watched through Sleepy Hollow there the other night. Oh, awesome. Still awesome. And I still feel like a lot of people just completely missed the point of how good that movie is. That's just a fun fucking movie. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I've watched a couple of the Friday the 13th sequels, which we'll uh, we'll kind of talk about as we go along here. Awesome. Um, most of them, very fun watches. Some of them, not as much. Yeah. Uh, and then tonight, we actually, too, watched through uh, Shaun of the Dead, 
which is just awesome. Oh god, it's so good, man. It's so fun good. You guys have uh, been having a fun week. Yeah, it's been good, man. It's like we've been working so hard lately that like whenever it's you know it's nighttime, we actually have just like maybe you know two hours to chill because that's pretty much all that we see each other through the week. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like fuck it, let's watch something good and just chill and do nothing here for a minute. So. Yeah, it's it's been good, man. It's been busy, but it's been good. Shaun of the Dead is the bomb. We got to cover that on the show sometime. Oh, absolutely! Such a great movie. Cause it's funny and stuff, but like really at its core, it's one of the better zombie movies, you know, of yeah. the last twenty years. Yes, absolutely. Really, really, really good stuff. So, the main thing that we're going to be talking about here on today's show is an absolute horror classic by the name of. Friday the 13th, the original, which came out in, what, Steve, 1980? Is that right? Yeah, May 9th, 1980. Golly gee whiz. We're, we're covering this because, for one, it's awesome. And for two, because it's October and it's Halloween month. And for C, because uh-huh. this is one of those rare Octobers where we actually have a Friday the 13th. So it just kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know, and I always associate the Friday the 13th movies with October the 13th, but it the opening of this is it's June 13th. It's insane that I always think of it for some reason in association with Halloween, yeah. even though it's a summer camp. You know, I think that I have too. Now that you mention that, I don't yeah. think that I had really thought about that. But yeah, it's like summer. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, like, I I think later movies, it it does seem a bit colder. It doesn't seem like it's always summer. There's some where it's more of a summer camp, but others where I think it is maybe in the fall. Yeah. But, like, I just always associate it in my mind with October. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that I had, too. I hadn't really... I mean, I think it's kind of like how we always think about, you know... John Carpenter's Halloween is being so fucking seasonal, but it's a damn summertime movie, too. Yeah. This is kind of the, the inverse of that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's shot in the summer and still it has that feel. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you because like the foliage and things uh, in most of the shots, it's, it's really green. It's obviously summer. Yeah. But like it, in the end of when she's on the the canoe you can see in the background there are some like trees where the leaves have changed and i looked it up and they were That's actually true. filming through september so like you do get like where some of the fall thoughts come in immediately because there are scenes where there is like uh there are different colors on the the trees and things and probably a bit cooler that there are a lot of scenes where some of the actors are wearing long sleeves and it's like is this june <laughs> like how, why yeah. would you be wearing long sleeves the apparel of the movie is very confusing in a lot of ways because like earlier in the flick of course there's a, a big bathing suit scene and stuff but then like mrs Voorhees' sweater looks very snugly it really does <laughs> and she's wearing another shirt underneath and when we see her at one point when she goes into a cabin, like you see her from a distance and you don't know it's her, she's wearing a big heavy jacket. <laughs> what the hell? She's code. Maybe she's got circulation problems. That might be. I don't know though. She seems spry. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why like 
Jason ended up so fucked up is like, you know, maybe she's got really bad circulation and it didn't oh, like, man. you know, take care of the baby well when he was in the womb and stuff. And that's, I don't know. That's why when he died drowning, she, she blamed herself so much that she started externalizing the blame and blamed everybody around her. Yeah. Yeah. We figured it out. End of podcast. Yeah. See you guys next week. Suck it. <laughs> it's a really cool flick man and you know it's it's a historic one it's one that that you know i'll say imitated a lot of horror flicks that were before it and then was followed by a legion of imitators you know of slashers all through the 80s and stuff like this yeah. so this is a landmark historic really important flick and uh i just watched the 2000, I think it's 2009 or 2007. I can't remember. I think it's 2009. 2009, yeah. Remake. remake. Yeah, yeah, I just watched that last night for the first time because I was morbidly curious. I had to know. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's bad. It's a pile of fucking shit, dude. It is. Yeah. It's like as bad as like that Hellraiser movie that doesn't have Doug Bradley in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, where it's that just like, yeah. this just is missing the point. Entirely, yeah, hundred percent, man. It fucking sucked. I, uh, I was really blown away by that fucking like twenty-three minute intro sequence before you actually even get the title credits. Yeah, there's a twenty-three minute cold open where it seems like, oh, we're being introduced to the characters of the movie, but no, we're watching a short film. Yeah, about Jason killing some kids and one gets away, and that's the story that we're gonna follow. That could have been just a few minutes. It's total garbage. Yeah, it's garbage. Absolutely. And there's just like, I don't know, man. It was just so soaked in like Michael Bay-isms the whole time. Well, he was a producer on it. Exactly. And you can yeah. tell he definitely had some ideas to contribute to, <laughs> to the entire thing. And it's funny. It's funny, dude. It's like there's a lot of horror flicks that I love. Like even like... um you know, Friday the 13th Part 4 and 5, where I could tell you, like, those movies are nonstop sex and violence. Yeah. But it's fun. Um, and it is. It's a good time. Yeah, but for some reason, like, this that newer Friday the 13th uh, remake we're talking about, like, it's nonstop sex and violence in the bad way. Yeah. And I don't quite know what the distinction is. I think... The thing that I notice in the Friday the 13th movies is that the girls seem to be having fun, too. Yeah. And what you don't see in that remake is that the girls are really having as much fun. No, huh? It seems like they're being sexualized. Not, oh, dude, absolutely so. Not what? wanting to have sex. And, like, every girl in it... Uh, this seems like such a weird thing to complain about, but like every girl in that is just like a fucking supermodel, like super young, super hot, super skinny, like huge yeah. tits. And you see everybody's tits in the movie. Yeah, that's something that I was going to say about this movie is that uh, I think all of the female actresses in this are, are pretty. They're absolutely yeah. gorgeous women, but they have uh, they have normal body shapes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very much so. Like the Jennifer Garner girl, she's tall and skinny. Uh, the the girl, I don't remember her name, uh, that that has sex with Kevin Bacon. She's mm -hmm. like, she's more of a big bootied girl, etc. Yeah, like hippie. 
Yeah, they're they're all attractive and they all have different body types and like that's the thing that's uh, I think sort of people find empowering about women in horror movies is that in lower budget horror movies you don't go after supermodels, you don't go after the most gorgeous woman, you go after very attractive women, obviously, but they're they're normal looking. They're yeah. girls that seem relatable because when you're watching a supermodel get killed, it seems so fake. Yeah. But when you're watching a normal person get killed, it's it's much you feel more, you're more likely to be scared. I was having these ideas while I was watching this, uh, that remake last night, which, like I said, is just these fucking beautiful, ultra-sexy people that are, like, sweaty and glistening and, yeah, <laughs> you know, ha- have nipples the size of dimes, and they're, <laughs> and they're just getting, like, murdered all in a row and stuff. And I was thinking, like... Are dime nipples attractive? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Michael Bay seems to say so. Could you imagine a Michael Bay snuff film, like... Because I really think that's what he really wants to make. Michael Bay wants to make like a fucking highly erotic snuff film. Yeah, that sounds about right. It would just be glistening and lens flare and fucking Uh explosions and like big fake tits and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that sounds like the exact movie he's been trying to make his entire career. Yeah. And if he, when he hears this, because I know he listens. Oh, yeah. Hi, Michael. Hey. Uh, Whatever. Oh. Call you back later. <laughs> <laughs> he um, he definitely will be like, yeah, that's it. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And he'll it do it. It really is. Yeah, I uh, I definitely didn't like the remake. It seemed shitty to me that they got rid of Kane Hodder. The yeah. guy they got to replace him, Derek Mears, he does good. Uh, and he is kick puncher himself from Community. So. No shit. Are you serious? Yeah, he plays kick puncher in That's the That's goddamn awesome. Yeah. Uh, Derek Mears, is, he's actually really funny. If you check any interviews with him or whatever, he's hes uh, obviously a great guy. And if you watch the uh, Crystal Lake Memories mm-hmm. uh, documentary, all six hours of it, if you get to the remake part, you find out, like, he, you know, obviously... He wasn't angling to take Kane Hodder's job. They just didn't want Kane Hodder back for some yeah. reason, which is insane. Like, why would you not want the perfect Jason back? <laughs> yeah, that makes zero zero sense to me whatsoever. That guy seems cool as shit. He seems very enthusiastic and just like a legitimate yeah. horror horror movie nerd. Yeah, that, and he goes at it hard. Yeah, he does. He's good in it. Yeah, yeah, you can't say that Jason is bad in it. It's just terribly done. Yeah, and there's some there's some pretty good kills and stuff in it, I guess, but zero of the charm of the original film. And yeah. I think a lot of the charm of the original Friday the 13th is those absolutely incredible special effects and kill scenes by our yes. main man, Tom, Tom Savini. Savini. Man, the fucking king of horror movie special effects, man. Like, if you don't know who Tom Savini is... Um, basically, if, if you've watched any you know horror movie from the 1980s, you have seen his work. He has brought to life so many of our favorite flicks and given us so many wonderful scenes of decapitations and headshots uh-huh. and, and everything else. Stuff. Tom, Tom, you know how Tom learned his trade is he was a combat photographer in the Vietnam War, 
So that guy would go around the fucking, you know, jungles and take pictures of Charlie's aftermath and stuff like this, which is so monumentally fucked up. Like, I don't even know how anybody could live a normal life. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you can see that kind of shit and go on. But talk about taking lemons and making them into lemonade. I guess. <laughs> I mean, that guy's like, you know, I saw some fucked up shit, but I could use this in the movie field because. If I'm making special effects for movies and it doesn't look like the shit that I saw that keeps me awake at night, then it's not good enough. Yeah. And there is a clear distinction between his work and everybody else uh, in that time period, man. Savini's work, especially with gore and blood spatter and um, appliances for like, you know, uh, neck, throat cuts and stuff like that are, are second to none for the time period and hugely, hugely influential for all horror movies and really i mean just any special effects period for that time period yeah i mean uh as we've lamented a million times you don't get as many practical effects anymore so you don't know how many people are still paying attention to savini's work but i'm sure there are a ton of people out there that are still trying to emulate stuff that he does absolutely so he's still teaching so yeah there are people out there learning his methods we just need to get more movies with more practical effects i totally agree man and especially especially horror movies dude because yeah horror movie fans are the ones that care about seeing those practical effects more than anybody 10 times more than anybody horror movie fans want to see the real shit yeah but we don't want uh obviously don't want to cgi freddy but we also don't want cgi blood like yep we want to see something that looks legit yep and you know it's like there was even complaints that i had with that with with the it remake which i i largely did enjoy and we'll cover it on the show sometime here too yeah you know there's a lot of lazy stuff in there it was like god damn it like tom savini or his student greg nicotero who's worked on the walking dead and all kinds of other stuff yeah. Either of those guys could have made some of that stuff look 10 times better uh, than what we got in the movie. So, yeah, yeah I, I really do agree with you there, man. I think that we need more horror flicks with legit great practical effects. I mean, that's that's to me the whole reason to watch The Void. Did you see The Void? Yeah, The Void's great. Real fun. It's but a real cool flick. weird. Yeah, real weird. Oh yeah. And again, you know, it's like if you're a fan of classic um, horrors, you know, practical special effects and stuff. That's a movie that you got to see because you're going to be seeing stuff in that that you just do not see these mm-hmm. days. And and like I said, it's all thanks to our our man Tom Savini here. So I figure before we start into our review portion of the movie, me and Steve here, let's give a let's give these dead and lovely listeners a breakdown of maybe some of our top, let's say six special effects movies that Tom Savini has worked on. Now, Tom Savini, he's worked on like a billion things since the, golly, man, when did he first start working? 60s? Yeah, and uh, he, I think he had started working before the Vietnam War, but then when he came back is when, you know, he was able to actually get into the industry. He started working and pretty early got hooked up with George Romero, which like, you know, that's, the Monumental, way to end up yeah. in horror movies yeah <laughs> yeah 
Definitely so. He's worked on a whole bunch of different things throughout the years with great special effects. So I figured we'd give a little rundown of some of our some of our favorite Tom Savini moments and even some individual kill scenes from those movies that we really liked here. Now I'm gonna kick Tom off Tom Savini our... breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Savini breakdown. <laughs> I'm gonna kick this thing off, Steve, with a movie that I won't say is a particularly fantastic movie. I think that it is kind of kind of dry and kind of boring, but Okay. It does have some absolutely fantastic kill scenes in it. It's The Prowler. You've seen The Prowler oh, before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, The Prowler does have great kill scenes, and I agree with you. It is kind of boring. It does, man. But it's it's kind of a movie about a, a World War II veteran that uh, got snubbed by his, uh, by his girl that was back home waiting on him to come back from the war, and he reenacts a bloody massacre uh, at, like, a prom dance, I guess, right? Yeah. And again, not particularly great, but there are some kill scenes in this flick that are just fucking awesome. It has, it has one of the best head explosion shots. Oh yeah, it's up there with like scanners. It's at the very end of the movie. There's the there's the head explosion that is just yeah. monumental. But that movie's got a whole bunch of other good ones too, man. That scene with oh, yeah. the girl getting murdered with the pitchfork in the shower. That's what I was gonna say. That pitchfork in the shower. Not only is the special effect awesome, but that that girl plays it so well. I know, it's, right? It's, it's really, a real really good. good scene. I wonder yeah. how they got away with that too, because apparently of course there's all kinds of really weird npaa guidelines yeah. for what you can and can't show you know on screen uh-huh well i think that was before the full rating system right like they just had g and uh yeah they be. just had g and r at that point or something or pg and r yeah and yeah. then pg-13 came in with like indiana jones i'm not sure which one it was but I think Temple of Doom, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Which is why even like Poltergeist is a PG movie, which is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. But there's uh there's all kinds of guidelines and stuff about how you can show you can show an object like a knife or, you know, a spear or whatever penetrating somebody as long as it's through clothes. But if it's through skin, it's I guess way more gruesome and way more unacceptable to see. Hmm. Um, so that pitchfork scene, it is, it's a, it's a naked lady yeah. in a shower getting stabbed with a pitchfork and it is brutal. It is just like a guy stabbing her with a pitchfork through the torso in the shower and there's blood everywhere and she's screaming and blood coming over her teeth and stuff. Really, really gruesome. There's, there's some great shit in there, man. There's some really good stuff. Kind of boring movie, but yeah, the Prowler deserves a mention because those kill scenes are the bomb. From what I understand, he said that that was some of his proudest work at that time. Well, speaking of head explosion scenes, I'm going to say Dawn of the Dead. Strong choice. Uh, and there are a million things you could pick from Dawn of the Dead. I'm just going to go with the first and one of the best, and that is in the beginning when the cops are going through the uh the condemned building trying to basically get rid of zombies and uh they kick in a door and just blow a dude's head off and the the head explosion is just so realistic it's so yeah. insane um but that that movie's full of great effects like yeah, absolutely full of them when did that come out that came out in 78 i believe wow wow man. that was it was 10 years after the original that's amazing man that's amazing but yeah that that movie has a million other reasons why it's awesome 
But Ben, what's your next one? Well, you know, my next one is kind of along those same veins because he came back and worked on good old Day of the Dead. Yes. Which is the one with the people that get stuck in that underground bunker with a whole bunch of zombies and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's an awesome fucking movie. I actually just saw that for the first time maybe like a year or so ago. Are you a fan of that one? Yes, I'm a huge fan of that one. I think people underrate it. Um, I think the character of Bub oh, yeah. is... it's. A, I, I think I said this when we did Night of the Living Dead, that the character of Bub like takes zombies to a level that people haven't caught up with fully yet i tend to agree with that yeah yeah it shows that there might still be something to save and that makes it more like brutal that (laughs) even though there might be something to save it would take so much work and would be impossible with these huge groups of zombies coming at you so you still have to kill them but now you know there's something in there have you, uh, I can't remember, have you seen or read The Girl with All the Gifts? I saw the the uh, adaptation. I yeah. loved it. I'm a huge fan of Gemma Arterton, and uh, I really thought it was an interesting story. I've heard the book is much better, even. Dude, it's fucking phenomenal. You should really read that book. Yeah, the movie did a pretty good job, but it really was just, you know... Like a lot of movies, a super, super just Cliff Notes version of the book. Yeah. But it's kind of like a whole generation of bubs, basically, like a generation of yeah. child zombies that they're trying to recover and uh Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying so. is we're just now catching up with what yep. Romero was thinking in 84, I think, is when that came out. So Wow, it's fantastic. I mean, he, he then had Land of the Dead where the, the zombies start working together. So, like... There's so much further, like people say they're tired of zombie stuff and it's like, well, you're tired of zombie stuff because people are just repeating Night of the Living Dead instead of following what Romero established beyond that. Yeah, trying to progress with zombies and stuff rather than making them mindless killing machines. I'd say that my favorite, my favorite kill from Day of the Dead is that they're towards the end of the movie when the... um, I think Shit, I know I what you're going to say. Yeah, I can't remember his name. It's like Captain or General somebody uh-huh. or another who just gets ripped apart at yeah. the end of it. And they, they're they pulling off his head and his voice. Yeah, it goes like, all crazy. Goes high. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, it's so sick. And it's very, you know, this is, again, honorable mention right here. It's very reminiscent of kind of that that closing scene of Maniac. Um uh-huh. Where old Joe Spinells gets torn up by all of his, uh, you know, I guess you could say the ghosts of his of his murder victims. It's very reminiscent yeah. of that, which is also another Tom Savini flick with also a great head explosion in it too. So worth mentioning. Yeah, absolutely worth mentioning. Now, my next one is Creep Show, and there's so much you could pull from oh, that. Oh shit! Yeah, dude. But the thing I like the most is the segment with Stephen King where he gets like covered in the alien grass. Oh yeah, it's like all he's all mossy and shit. Yeah, cuz the effect is like so weird. It's so different, but it also just grosses me out. Yeah. Like I I have a fear of shit growing on my skin. Uh, yeah, dude. It seems so gross. And uh, like that it definitely stems from seeing creep show as a young man, so. Man. Uh it stuck with me. That's so cool. The bug the bug scene and stuff in that too with all the cockroaches and stuff, the last one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gosh, uh, that movie is great. 
We'll have to cover that. I want to go watch that again, man. It's been a while since I've seen that. So what's your next one, Ben? Well, my, my final one that I have on my list is a movie that Tom Savini worked on. Actually, he worked on this movie instead of working on Friday the 13th Part 2 because he thought it seemed kind of implausible that, you know, the character of Jason would actually be back and be a full-grown man and be running around killing everybody. So uh-huh. he instead opted to work on another camp slasher that is one of my favorite horror movies called The Burning. Uh, uh-huh. The Burning is the shit. It's such a ultra underrated movie. And it is, you know, in a lot of ways, it is a generic camp slasher. You know, it's kids that show up at a summer camp and they get fucking murdered like crazy by a guy that was wronged by former uh, campers. And, you know, that's a very, very thin plot and stuff like this. But this movie, honestly, kind of unlike our main topic today, Friday the 13th, I feel like has a lot of characters that are legit and believable and played by like uh uh fucking young george costanza yeah fisher stevens a bunch of people yeah there there is uh a lot going on in the burning for sure and i really love uh the effects in it do you have a particular scene you like dude the rat the raft scene the raft scene scene. yeah so it's the best it's so sick i had heard about the raft scene you know before i even Mm -hmm. watched this movie and stuff i had heard about it because it was like banned in a lot of international versions of the movie uh because it is just so blow your face off brutal It, it basically involves like a raft full of of uh campers and stuff trying to get back to camp and they're floating down this little river and they come across a canoe that they think has a um has somebody in it from their campsite and they creep up on it and it turns out it's our main our main killer guy Cropsy and he murders this whole raft full of kids with a a pair of like head shears yeah like gardening shears yeah and dude it's like fingers are getting cut off people are getting uh-huh. slashed across the face it is just a bloodbath and it comes out of nowhere and it's so convincing and so well done yeah Fuck, the, it's so the good. fingers getting cut off it's like the that, worst that's yeah and it looks so real it does man and he stands up in the canoe and you get that silhouette of him with the sun behind him just with the, yeah, the, the shears above his head the shears raised up yeah uh, yeah it's so good man it's so uh, good. I, again i think that's really one of the most underrated slashers ever in my opinion it's got some genuinely like funny shit in there that you'd go yep that's pretty much what we used to do when we were teenagers or whatever yeah Uh good characters good acting and stuff and amazing special effects definitely try to check out the burning i actually i actually think that is better than friday 13th in my opinion huh okay all right i do i've only seen the burning once so i would have to watch it again so we'll have to do it yeah and and have that discussion for sure that's a good call what's the last one you got on your list here steve all right so the last one i have on my list and the thing about this one is there are great kills in it but there's a specific reason i think it's it's one of his greatest friday the 13th the final chapter oh in friday the 13th the final chapter we have tommy played by Corey feldman and 
Corey Feldman is essentially playing Tom Savini. Right. He's a kid who's obsessed with horror movies yeah. and special effects, and he makes yeah, masks. Yeah, and he's and making, like, masks and stuff. Yeah, and it's really cool. And there are so many good kills. Tom Savini came back. He, he, he makes all these awesome kills. One I think is the best is the the jokester guy is watching uh, uh, porn or something. Oh, yeah. And... He gets uh, he gets a corkscrew through the hand and then a hatchet to the face and it's I I don't know like the the corkscrew to the hand specifically I think like they played it really well it looked really good I really enjoy like so much about that movie I, uh, it, I think it's one of the best but like specifically that kills really awesome it's badass man it really really is I think that that's probably that's probably the best 13th movie overall in my opinion yeah and it has crispin glover being weird (laughs) crispin glover's kill in the movie is awesome too yes it is he's so weird in that movie like he just goes so strange that's one that's got the double mint twins in it too right yeah uh uh-huh oh man looking real makey outy they do. They got they got makey outy faces for sure. Something that I really like about that flick too, man, is there are, I, I, dude, I can't even tell you how many times somebody like gets thrown through a plate glass window in slow motion <laughs> through that movie. There's even one scene towards the end where a fucking dog jumps out of a plate glass window in slow motion. <laughs> it's just like, wow, everybody's going through a window in this flick, man. My, I think my favorite kill in there, dude, is where. I can't remember. It might be one of the double mint girls. I can't remember. But she's standing by a window inside of the cabin, and Jason, like, reaches in on, like, the second or third floor and grabs her. Yeah. Dude, throws her out the window, and there's this great shot of Jason throwing her, of course, in slow motion. Yeah. And it looks it looks like a panel from a comic book or something. It's so well composed and stuff. It's sick. And then she lands on top yeah. of that car, and the car, like, explodes. Yeah, and then Jim Ross is like, "Oh my God, <laughs> she is broken half. She's broken in half. God is She's been choke slammed to hell. She's dead. She's dead." <laughs> That's some definite hell in a cell shit for sure. Yeah, it's badass. I actually, I forgot. Now you just mentioning that that was in slow motion, and I, you know, just rewatching the first one with the slow motion decapitation. Yeah. I forgot that that's an element of the Friday the 13th movies that I really like. Like, oh yeah, those slow motion deaths because it's like you you're showing you're like showcasing either the special effect or the stunt. Like you're really showcasing like we did this. Like look in slow mo, you can watch it happen. Yeah, it's like, really cool. It's not even something we need to just show you a quick flash of because otherwise the effect is ruined. It's like, no, no, no. no. Yeah. The effect is so good. We can show it in slow motion and you'll still believe it. Yeah, it's awesome. That's really a really, cool. that's a really, really, really good point. Um, and two, you know, I think another like big signature of the whole series is the fade to white, the white fade. Yeah. Uh huh. Which is awesome, especially in the intros of the movie. They tend to use that white fade a lot. And uh, yeah. a lot of times in my videos on my YouTube channel and stuff, whenever I'm editing and I'm, and I'm doing like a a transition from like a shot to another shot, you know, uh huh. there's like a fade to white transition that you can use in iMovie. Uh-huh. And in my head, I'm always like, let's give it that Jason fade. Yeah, that Jason throw a little Friday fade. the 13th on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. The, the way that it transitions in this to that, like why I really enjoy that 
Like it's, it's, it, it doesn't just give you the we're going into the future feel, but it's also like, okay, calm down from those kills we just showed you. Like right, yeah. this movie does that a lot where it's like controlling your feelings. Very it's much. like lulling you into feeling secure so that the next death scene is a shock. Right. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, horror movies all obviously try to do that, but this one does that very well. Absolutely so, man. Absolutely. So, Steve, when was the first time that you watched Friday the 13th? Uh, I could not tell you. Wow. <laughs> These movies I have seen growing up over and over and over. I know this movie specifically was one that I saw a lot growing up. Yeah. And... Uh, gave me a little boy boner for sure. So, uh, I, for I, more on little boy boners, be sure to listen to our Jurassic yeah. Park episode. <laughs> good call, good call. Um, I I definitely had uh, crushes on the girls in this movie. Oh, they're super I thought cute. They're all so pretty. Uh, I tend to agree. I I remember watching this a lot because um, I always forgot that jason wasn't in it right like we would, yeah we would watch it and it was always just like oh right his mom's a killer at the end of this one like that's so weird yeah yeah you're kind of waiting you're like and when does he come in again yeah and then like watching it again this this one's so good for not having jason at all like it's t like if jason were in this and i i do have a theory that he might be <laughs> Yeah, um, I want to hear about that. And, and after okay. you, uh, you sent me a text earlier where you mentioned something about yeah. that, and I got to thinking about it. And there's a few things that that I have to say about that too that that do yeah. make me kind of wonder about that. Now that you mentioned awesome, it. I do have a theory that it might be, but like the 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 fact that Jason isn't in this, and there's still so much of that same tension, and the way that Betsy Palmer, who plays Mrs. Voorhees, plays. Mrs. Voorhees, you can see some of the way she uh, uses her body, like particularly in that cabin scene where, uh, what's her name? Al is it Alice? Yeah, is yeah, the main, main girl. girl. Yeah, Alice uh, is like she like beat her down and got away. The way she stands up is like it's like she doesn't feel pain. She yeah. like just stands straight up like a Jason type of stand. And then she comes out of the cabin and just slams the door. And you yeah. see Jason do that in instances where someone gets away. He gets frustrated. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so like, it, it, even though Jason's not in this, you get the same camera angle type of, you know, Jason in the woods things. And you get the same type of fear from Betsy Palmer. So like, I understand why I forgot it so much as a child. But now as an adult, I'm like... You know what? You don't need Jason in this. Betsy Palmer's fucking awesome. So you've seen this movie just countless times. You've seen it your whole life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been watching this movie my whole life. How about you, Ben? I think I watched it for the first time probably about like seven or eight years ago. I think it's probably been... I might be lying. It might be more like eight or nine years ago. Because I remember we watched it over at our our first rental house that we had over in Jefferson uh -huh. City, Tennessee. Okay. And uh, my wife and I had never seen it. Of course, we'd heard all about it and stuff. But we were like, let's let's check this out and see what it's about. I remember whenever we watched it, not being particularly blown away. I don't think that either uh -huh. of us were really like that 
that nuts about it. By that time, I think we'd already seen a ton of other great horror flicks that were influenced yeah. by it, you know? Um, yeah. Which I, I always call that, you know, Black Sabbath syndrome, where it's like if <laughs> somebody tells you Black Sabbath is the best metal band of all time, but you've grown up listening to, you know, Whitechapel or something like that, you know, some some modern heavy metal band, you go back and listen to Sabbath and you're like, this isn't heavy at all. Um, but it's like, okay, but you grew up listening to stuff that was influenced several generations by what began there. So actually, at the time, that was terrifying, brutal music. But you've heard so many imitations and derivatives of it that it's less impressive if you've seen it after you've seen its uh, imitators, I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which not to say that this movie is a complete original because honestly you could say that the makers of this movie kind of looked at the blueprint of uh john carpenter's halloween which came out several years before this you can actually say that definitely i um i highly recommend there's a oral history of this movie on uprox oh and sean s cunningham and victor miller both said that Oh, really? Uh, Victor Miller said Sean Cunningham came to him and said, I want to rip off Halloween. And well, Victor go. Miller went and watched Halloween and learned how to write a horror movie. And that's those are his words. He said, I went and watched Halloween and learned how to write a horror movie. So, Well, I, f- I feel like if you took about two-thirds of Halloween and mixed it with one-third of the mother-son dynamic of Psycho, but then inverted it, yep. uh-huh. you basically get this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And the the thing is that Victor Miller, I think, came out with a really good original script here. Even though you can say that a lot of this comes from, you know, just viewing Halloween. Sure. What we do get out of this uh, that is similar to Halloween is we get the final girl. But uh, the final girl in Friday the 13th is not as straight-laced as... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's in Halloween. Sure. Then we also uh, get the difference that the killer is female. Yeah, which is cool for the horror genre. Also, yeah. like an old woman, like an older lady, too. Yes. It's not like yeah. fucking, I don't know, some kind of like young, svelte, hot killer girl. It's like, oh, it's an adult. Yeah, there's no like sexiness to it or anything. It's no. It's an adult woman killing because her son died 22 years ago. Yeah, metal. Uh, so that's that's real, like, different. It's interesting. So I, I think Victor Miller brought a lot to this, and I also think Sean Cunningham's direction is obviously great in this because the shots in this movie are awesome. There are some really beautiful shots, man. I, I found uh-huh. myself particularly just mesmerized man like actually some of the very last shots of the movie whenever alice is sitting in the canoe on the lake uh uh-huh. I-, I could i could watch like a, a slow zoom of that shot for an hour like that shot oh, of yeah. her on that super super serene still lake in that canoe uh-huh. with all the trees and stuff around her there's something about the reflections on the water and stuff like that that are Beautiful. It almost reminds me of like the opening of The Shining or something in terms of the landscape looking super vast and really bleak in a lot of ways. I think it's really interesting to look at. There are also a lot of like long uh, single uh, shot takes. There are. Yep. Yeah. Where uh, specifically I think of 
when Alice comes running back into the cabin when she's running away from Mrs. Voorhees and she like creates this like rope lock for the door and like she's like basically moving everything from the living room toward the door and oh, yeah. I, I timed scene. it I timed it it's over a minute and a half one shot she moves back and forth in the room the camera just follows her the whole way wow and it's great it's a great shot the whole time it never gets lost in the tracking it's always a good shot i like too that she's building this huge barricade uh on the inside of this door to a door that swings out not yeah in. <laughs> well yeah she had to she had to tie the door to the rafters so that you couldn't open it but then what are you doing with i guess maybe if they do get it open they have to climb over that shit like <laughs> you're at least gonna irritate the killer mildly. yeah for real <laughs> gotta open that door and be like god damn it <laughs> all the shit's in the way <laughs> and i'm an old lady <laughs> she just put like some legos in the floor or something like that instead Oh, yeah. You know what? She should have just gone home alone on it. Kevin McCallister. Some paint cans, a blowtorch. Christmas ornaments. The blowtorches we all have in our basement. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Everybody has one of those laying around. (laughs) There are some really cool shots in this, though. Like you said, there are some really really long takes. And another one in this movie that particularly fascinates me for absolutely zero reason, man. Uh Uh-huh. It's it is one hour and eight minutes into the movie exactly. Yeah. It's almost near the end of the movie. It's when everybody's starting to get slaughtered and stuff. There is a scene that is about a minute and a half or two minutes where Alice she's in the cabin by herself and she wakes up and the power's off and she realizes dude has gone off to fix the generator. And so she just gets up from the couch in the living room and she walks into the kitchen and makes two cups of coffee. And it is shot in real time. And it is mm-hmm. her getting the mugs and getting the spoon and putting the coffee in the cups. I have no idea why, man. That scene fascinates the fuck out of me. It is completely pointless. I have no I idea why. I think I know why. I think I know why. Huh. And I, I'm going to tell you again why I think this movie is so damn good. Yeah. Um, Bill goes to check the generator. Right. Uh, Alice is she's falling asleep on the couch now don't get the idea that Alice is your typical final girl that's too innocent for the world she's falling asleep on the couch because she's exhausted and they they've come to believe that maybe nothing bad is happening they're not positive yet so she has fallen asleep Bill goes to check the generator this is an hour and four minutes into the movie Bill doesn't say a word while he's checking the generator Mm -hmm. nothing but sounds just like when she's making the coffee yeah no dialogue no music nothing it's just it's a damn ASMR video in the middle of a fucking horror movie yeah the thing that breaks up Bill checking the generator no sound then Alice making coffee like again no dialogue not no sound no dialogue sure Uh, is uh, Alice suddenly wakes up and screams Bill and then looks around, seems to remember, and then says, generator. And then she goes in and for two whole minutes is making coffee with no dialogue. And then it cuts to her in the woods yelling Bill again. It's just this wonderfully framed, 
using dialogue and sound and and good direction wonderfully framed bit of of time that lulls you in again it lulls you in makes you feel secure because we've just seen a bunch of deaths up to this point right it makes you feel secure again so that when miss Voorhees does show up when betsy palmer shows up you're still a little lured in you're still not sure you're thinking like oh well she can't be the person who's been killing it's a nice old lady I think you're saying it kind of like lulls you into the same sense of security that that Alice's character was probably feeling at that point. Where she's like, everything's yeah, fine. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, we go through it with Alice. We go through her anxiety. We see all the things she sees, and she's not fooled by anything. Like when Bill's like, "I'm gonna go check on that," she's like, "No, I'll go with you." Right. Whenever yeah. they see that they don't know what's happening, she's like, "We should call someone." Like she's she's constantly being the one like we need to do something. So she gets lulled in, the storm stops. That's uh the thing that happens like right before she falls asleep. True. Yeah. So it's almost like all of the the tension just gets uh sort of suppressed for about four minutes. And that four minutes gets stretched out by the fact that there's no dialogue. And it's just these almost soothing, comforting sounds. It seems super realistic to me. And, and I like, too, that yeah. so much of that, like you said, of course, is completely no dialogue. It's only physical acting and stuff. It reminds me a lot of uh, The House of the Devil because there is... Uh-huh. In The House of yeah. the Devil, like we mentioned on our episode, there's like 30 or 40 minutes of that movie that doesn't have any dialogue in it. It's just physical acting. Yeah. I... I really enjoy what they did there. And I think that if you pay attention throughout, like go through it again, you'll notice that there are a number of scenes that are driven by action and not by words where there's stuff happening and no, no one's saying anything. We're not being told what's happening. We're just seeing it happen. Um, and that's just real good. I think for a horror movie, because yeah. talk isn't scary i mean right. it can be it, it can be but like that's usually related to like supernatural horror sure yeah that's when talk becomes more scary that's when you need a backstory for the house for you to feel like okay now this there's some tension about walking into the basement alone right exactly yeah but you, it's that show us don't tell us thing yeah in this we're seeing people die so we know there's tension the characters don't know there's tension so they're just acting normal and that's making it more tense so our character of alice there i feel like is a pretty well fleshed out character in terms of her kind of personality traits and stuff like that but honestly i kind of feel like almost all of the other characters of this movie are are really super super flat other than maybe like ned the kind of uh funny guy you know uh-huh uh steve i think has some uh some story behind him yeah i'm mostly interested in hearing his story about being in dexie's midnight runners video <laughs> come on eileen he's totally there yeah, because he has that, that scene where he's in those cut-off jean shorts. Oh, uh, yeah, And dude. The, the red kerchief around his neck. To Ralu. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he I definitely want to hear his stories about about that video shoot and how, of <laughs> course, it got him so much money that he could uh, buy and refer. I guess he didn't have to buy his family owned it, but they said that he spent twenty five thousand dollars like fixing up the the camp. So like he's <laughs> he obviously had a lot of money from that video. I don't know. I think it definitely did fund his refurbishing of, of Camp Crystal Lake. Now, were he and Alice banging? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I think so, too. But it's like then I was watching, um, again, the aforementioned Crystal Lake Memories uh, documentary, uh-huh. which is which is cool. Definitely worth a watch. It's oh, on, yeah. It's on Shutter well right now. Well, and also, like, it's six hours, and that seems like a lot, but it's, it's broken down by movie, so yeah. you can just watch it, like per movie and then it's it's actually only i think uh probably about 45 minutes a movie yeah exactly exactly but in that documentary they're talking about how you know alice is kind of like fending off the advances of steve and i'm like i don't really think she is i think she uh kind of went with it because yeah there's that scene early on where she's like fixing that gutter and steve Uh is down there too and i like to that for some reason, I guess while she's like fixing gutters at the camp, she's got to bring her sketch pad along with her. Well, yeah. What if she sees something she wants to sketch? <laughs> Just drop that fucking gutter and sketch it. But yeah, she's got her sketchbook and Steve is like, oh, you drew a picture of me. And she's like, or he's like, this isn't what I look like. She's like, that's what you looked like last night. <laughs> After we I'm had the artist. sex. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. Have you seen Wet Hot American Summer? I've seen the series, but not the movie. Oh, well, you should see the movie. The series yeah. is awesome. Yeah. You should see the movie. Uh, David Hyde Pierce's character in the movie is basically this guy. Oh, shit. I love <laughs> David Hyde Pierce. Yeah, he's awesome. So, uh, and, and Janine Garofalo's kind of Alice, I would say. I mean, obviously, Wet Hot is not a slasher movie, but it is definitely inspired by slasher films. David Wayne has said so, and Ken Marino has said that his character was definitely inspired by that jock guy in uh sleepaway camp okay the guy who's always wearing the short shorts and no sleeves shorty shorts i guess that's everybody in that movie though (laughs) it kind of is yeah anyway but yeah like i think there is one other interesting character and (laughs) maybe two actually let me get into my jason is in this movie theory okay and then i'll talk about the other interesting character Okay, so the scene where Kevin Bacon dies, I yeah. don't know his character's name because every time I see him, I go, that's Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah, like, he's Kevin uh, Bacon. Sure, he's Footloose. Yeah, yeah, he's Footloose, fancy free. Yep. Um, he's Hollow he, Man. He's the Hollow Man. He <laughs> rapes a woman while invisible. Oh, ooh. Um, he's got a big dick in Stranger Things. Uh, <laughs> strange Things. Strange Wild things. things. <laughs> Wild things. He probably also has a big dick in Stranger Things. Watch season two. You'll see it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say just wherever he goes, big dick. Big dick follows. Um, Bacon's got sausage. So he's he's uh, <laughs> he's railing his girlfriend in the cabin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's this again is another one of those lull you end scenes because it's like um there's they're playing script monopoly in one cabin and it's like oh this is about to turn into a wicked three-way those those rules of the strip monopoly very fuzzy by the way yeah not really sure how that all works um 
Uh, it then cuts to Kevin Bacon, his girlfriend, uh, getting freaky. Mm-hmm. And it's like intense, like it's a, a long sort of intense scene with like, you're just like, oh, this is just a sex scene. And then the camera pans up to the bunk above them and there's dead Ned with the killer laying beside him. You know, this just goes back to what we've been saying all along, Steve. Bottom bunk, that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be because top bunk, you get killed. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows that. And if you're in the bottom bunk, you get to have sex with Kevin Bacon. Obviously. <laughs> Oh, man. And that's these days you want to do that. So are you saying the killer was up there with the corpse? The killer was up there with the corpse. You see the killer next to the corpse. I didn't notice that. And then, okay, so then uh, they're done having sex. We don't see any, like, cutaways or anything. We don't see any time where the killer could have got down under kevin bacon's bed yeah you would have had to leap down there or something Uh uh-huh kevin bacon starts smoking weed and then we see what we know from uh the chris camp crystal lake memories is tom savini's hand yeah reaching up and uh grabbing kevin bacon and then shoving an arrow through his throat which is a great great kill Uh uh-huh so it's a man's hand that we see do it we definitely can rest pretty sure that one of those killers i I mean there are two killers apparently in this situation and the writer of this movie said that he had to include the scene because he he thought of it and he thought of how great it would be and he knew that it would be impossible for mrs Voorhees to do that Okay. To be under a bed and shove an arrow through the bed and through a throat. Yeah. And and that's absolutely true. That's a lot of like strength that it would take. And she doesn't have like superhuman strength. We see her seemingly immune to pain, but we also see Alice fighting her off. And and you don't fight off Jason. That brings me to another thing that I noticed in this flick too is there's a scene where Alice later on in the movie is inside of the cabin and uh-huh. again, I can't remember which female character it is. I think it's the, the brunette girl uh, uh-huh. with the curly Brenda. hair. Brenda, yeah. Uh-huh. She gets fucking thrown through the window. A, yes. A full-grown adult gets thrown uh-huh. through the window. And it's like later on, which by later on I mean like five minutes later, whenever uh-huh. we see Alice fighting uh, Miss Voorhees, she is clearly just a of average strength woman. Like she is not uh-huh. super fucking strong. She cannot pick up a full grown adult and throw her through a fucking window. There's no She's way. She's sixty one as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly, exactly, man. Like Be- Betsy Palmer was sixty one, but if you Betsy Palmer in interviews has talked about the backstory she established for Mrs. Voorhees, and they've kind of gone with it in the comic books. She had had Jason in her 20s. She's now like, uh, you know, 30-something in 58. She's 61 in 80. She couldn't lift up a body and throw it through a window. No. Uh-uh. No. So, yeah, I, I think Jason is in this movie. That's a cool idea. Yeah, and that's how that's how you, you know, uh, can then rationalize the further movies. That's why Tom Savini didn't want to do the second when you said... Because he couldn't think of a way to rationalize how Jason would still be alive. And that does make sense 
but it also makes sense to think that okay maybe mrs Voorhees found him almost drowning and overreacted to the point where she you know uh just snaps right yeah like maybe she'd be like a, a super helicopter parent or something like this yeah so i i think jason is in this movie and there are kills there are kills where it's definitely mrs Voorhees, like even though you don't see her the kill say for instance when the first girl that we see who was supposed to be the cook gets picked yeah. up in mm -hmm. the jeep that's obviously not going to be jason because we know his face is deformed yeah she'd get in that jeep and be like whoa your face is fucked up sir yeah <laughs> you know at least she would react <laughs> but she's she seems comfortable so it's it's obviously betsy palmer and then later when uh steve the owner of the camp dies he says oh it's you and it's like oh okay he knows her because as we know she used to work at the camp right um but there are other deaths where we don't see her and we also don't have any reaction to to the killer right so and also the the kill of the girl in the jeep could have just as well been jason uh, because, you know, the girl jumps out of the Jeep and starts trying to run away. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know. I think Jason is in this movie. I think, I mean, obviously, I'm saying that with knowledge of all the future movies. Like, if you're just watching this movie as uh, a single entry, or, or as a single movie with no thought of sequels, Jason's dead. It doesn't make any sense that you would make a sequel. But with the knowledge of all the sequels, it's like, yeah, he he must be in this movie. I'm going to go with an alternate theory here, Steve, that, <laughs> that the, reason, the reason why we are misunderstanding uh, Ms. Voorhees' strength and stuff that she has and her, uh -huh. her obvious brutish, hairy, manly hands that she displays many times throughout the movie. Yeah. It's because we're assuming a gender. <gasps> oh shit <laughs> it's playing on our assumptions steve it's playing on us well speaking of assumptions <laughs> actually let's talk about brenda okay um, brenda which one is she brenda is the one i say looks like jennifer garner okay yeah she does uh so brenda brenda is a vegetarian oh she's the animal lover yeah yeah, here's something I've started to learn about female vegetarian characters in the 80s and 90s. Okay. There is something different about them. All right. Not just that they're vegetarians, but that they have feminist ideas and sometimes are gay. Okay. Not rarely. I would say pretty regularly are gay. Okay. Here's what happens with Brenda. Brenda suggests playing Strip Monopoly with Alice and Bill. Mm -hmm. And I think, okay, Brenda's down to pound. Like, she's she's like, all right, let's you and me take on Bill. This will be fun. Mm -hmm. AIDS hasn't been invented yet. It'll be great. <laughs> but then they're playing uh, Strip Poker and our Strip Monopoly, and suddenly the door flies open, and Brenda says... Oh, I left the windows. My cabin's going to be drenched. I left the windows open. My cabin's going to be drenched. Yeah. And um, she said right before this, Alice is about to have to take her top off. Yeah. And Brenda 
looks to Alice and says, it's a shame that uh, we have to stop now. She does say that, yeah. Then, <laughs> and then she doesn't go to her cabin. No, she doesn't. You're right, She's, you're right. Is she afraid that her cabin's going to be drenched from rain or something else? I'm just saying. That's hilarious. I hadn't thought about it that way. Now, it's very possible she's saying it's a shame or whatever because Bill had just taken off his shirt. Uh-huh. But she doesn't say that with Bill there. She says it when Bill's away from the table. Right. So I'm just saying it seems a little like Brenda may be interested in Alice. You think she might be a vegetarian? Yeah, she might be a vegetarian. Um... <laughs> And I realize that this is like the third out of our last four podcasts that we've said a character might be gay. Yeah. But, well, okay, listen, we weren't saying the character in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 might be gay. Oh, it's affirmative. He was gay. Yeah, clearly. Uh, And we weren't saying Justin Long might be gay. We were saying a person with a tiny rose tattoo around their belly button probably tends to prefer sex with men. In a movie that was made by a guy that molested boys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, just quick update on that. I thought about this because I read <laughs> update. about... Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. Um, update on Justin Logg's tattoo. I, yeah. I thought about this because uh, a lot of people who are sexually trafficked are tattooed by their pimps. Oh, um, shit. For real? Yeah. So not sure if that was a part of that. I think it might be. Anyway, so (laughs) I I don't know. I think Brenda Brenda might be because like you know when we had uh, the the girl in Jurassic Park, she's a vegetarian and she also is like a hacker and like she like there there's always like these with vegetarian comes these more progressive ideas in the 80s and 90s, which is cool. Like actually, you can even. Uh, trace it back further like seven year itch the guy's trying to live a vegetarian diet and also thinking about cheating on his wife so like uh <laughs> vegetarian vegetarian diet is like you're a degenerate basically because <laughs> <laughs> you ain't got the proteins you need to stay monogamous yeah <laughs> good delicious <laughs> delicious meat makes you monogamous it keeps you from uh, having the gay sex. Keeps yeah. you from masturbating for sure. <laughs> it keeps you from living beyond 70. Keep that red oh, meat yeah. in that diet, buddy. <laughs> Yo, I say that. I love meat. I love red meat all the time. I I would love it all the time, except uh, you don't want, I don't want my heart to die. You know <laughs> well, what? You know. Uh, I guess if I'm going to die, I want my heart to die with me. I would hate if my heart just kept going. Your heart will go on. Maybe this is how that fucking Titanic song was written. Celine Dion? She was having she was a zombie? conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you think Brenda's a let? So we got Brenda, the possible lesbian. We got Ned, uh-huh. the funny guy who's, who's kind of kind of racist, I guess, too. Uh-huh. And then Bill, Bill and Kevin Bacon are boring. For yeah, sure. I know. Like they're the same fucking character. Like they should have at least made one of these guys like the asshole, like the unlikable one who was trying to like shack up with everybody or was like a degenerate in some way. Like, but both of those guys are just kind of like whatever, just typical male 
characters. I would say Ned's the asshole. I mean, remember that scene where he he shoots an arrow near a girl as a prank? That's true. Not funny. And then he pretends to drown as a joke. He does that too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I was pretty glad when Ned died. I was like, good. Finally. Like, what if the movie ended there and it was like the villain is dead? Over. <laughs> Sweet. Now, is Bill the one that's like Bing Crosby's kid? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, he's the one that has no personality whatsoever. He's the one that racks up the only legitimate kill in the movie where they kill a real black snake in this movie. Yeah. Why'd they do that? I don't know. I I mean, it kind of grossed me out. Like, not the the gore of it, but the fact that they killed an actual black snake when it's like, you could have just made a fake black snake or something or how about this like not had that scene in the movie whatsoever yeah it didn't it didn't have anything to do with anything but see that's that's what i wonder man is like that scene where we see bill you know just kind of quickly and just sort of very rationally kill this black snake with a huge machete yeah um i I was thinking about it because i watched that scene the other night and i'm like well what the fuck was the point of that like Nothing there really ever comes back in the movie. But then I was thinking, are they trying to, like, make me... Are they trying to, like, fake me out and make me think that Bill has this, like, cold killer's edge? And he's got a huge machete and he's obviously a big, powerful dude. Maybe he's the killer? Are they trying to psych me out? Like, yeah. I couldn't tell what the psych-out game of this movie was, man. Because obviously there is sort of that Giallo movie... Uh, trope uh-huh. throughout the whole thing of you know you just see a killer's hands or first perspective of the killer right. and the victim is like oh it's you I can't believe it's you or whatever and yeah. they get murdered by this unseen killer that's something that again giallo flicks and all that stuff have been doing for years by this point chronologically but I feel like this movie was trying to play the fake out game and keep you guessing like is was it Bill? Bill killed that snake and had a big machete. Is it <laughs> is it the town crazy Ralph who was right. like hiding in the pantry and is obviously a lunatic? Like, but I don't I don't feel like there was ever a guessing game. I think even Steve might have some uh, like suspicion cast on him because his family used to own the camp and he he then leaves and then people start dying. Yeah, but then we see him at the cafe. Yeah, he's been at that fucking cafe eating pie for like seven hours. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it, there, I really don't feel at any point like, oh, I got to figure out who this is. No. Like huh? for me, it's just like, oh, the the killer will be revealed at the end. But like, it's obviously not any of the people we've met so far. Like to me, it never feels like that. Yeah, exactly. There's never there's never really a moment where you're really thinking, oh, it's definitely one of the kids at the camp. Or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I feel like in a lot of those other movies that do kind of the guessing game thing, even like, let's say, Sleepaway Camp, if you want to compare it to another, uh-huh. you know, Camp Slasher 80s flick, I feel like that movie does a really good job of like setting up incentives and personality traits in a lot of the characters that make you think, yeah, that, that guy could definitely be going around killing people, getting revenge and stuff like this. But in this movie, like none of the characters themselves have any kind of motive or personality trait that would make you think that maybe they're a killer. So I never found myself guessing or wondering like, gosh, who's at the bottom of this? I bet it's this person. I bet it's this person. Like there's never really any really good fake out game established. And I I will say like the, the reveal whenever you get it, 
that it's been, you know, Miss Voorhees showing up because like you saw in that flashback really on, like you saw in that flashback really early on in the movie with Uh the original camp in the fifties, um, you know, of the counselors getting killed and stuff like that. And then you hear talk of boy that drowned and yada, yada. Whenever you find out that it is Miss Voorhees, I do think that it's a good reveal, and yeah. it's like, oh, cool. You know, that, I, th- I do think that that's good, but I don't think there was really much of a guessing game built into yeah. it before then. Yeah, they they definitely tried for it a little, yeah. but didn't seem to commit to it, which I think is good. I don't like the guess who done it type of horror movies usually. I do love mm-hmm. Sleep a Cam- Sleepaway Camp because the reveal is ob- obviously like way different and Tremendous, interesting yeah. and awesome. Yeah. But. With Mrs. Voorhees, it seems just like, yeah, good. I'm glad it's not someone we've met so far. I'm glad there's a story behind it that can get revealed slowly. And I I really then enjoy Mrs. Voorhees. Like, as I said, I think Betsy Palmer's great. She is. She's amazing. I think about (laughs) that scene where uh, the the first kill where (laughs) this is maybe someone's sexual fetish and i i really want to meet that person (laughs) but the two camp counselors go up into an attic to have sex wearing the same clothes (laughs) yeah like they're matching outfits yeah do you know like i understand (laughs) that work uniforms or whatever but like those clothes are so specific that it seems like someone's sexual fantasy to see two people wearing those clothes have sex. I want to say that I heard a term for that recently, dude. I want to say there's somebody that I saw online talking about that, where it's like, <laughs> it's a, uh, like a, uh, shit. I know it's rooted in like narcissistic. It's like a narcissophiliac or some shit like this. <laughs> That's awesome. Or you just want to, you want to fuck somebody that looks like you <laughs> or something. But then, then uh, things really take a turn for the best when you realize that the killer is Betsy Palmer and you look up Betsy Palmer in the 50s because Betsy Palmer was a very pretty woman. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you imagine you're about to bang your camp counselor girlfriend, finally willing to do it in the same clothes like you want. And then this... Uh, 33-year-old blonde bombshell walks in. <laughs> it's like, this just got interesting. This, and you see that on the guy's face because he's got, like, this <laughs> smile at first. He's like, oh, it's, he's a like, new challenger right. has entered the game. <laughs> <laughs> a, a wild Betsy Palmer appears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. This movie, like, there's so much sexuality to this movie. There is. And it's interesting because uh, Alice, who is our final girl, as we've learned from slasher movies, should not smoke pot and shouldn't play strip Monopoly, but she does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, again, you can look at that as being like Laurie Strode for fucking Halloween. I mean, Laurie gets high. Yeah, she smokes pot. Yeah. Yeah. But she is afraid of boys. Yeah. Laurie Strode is afraid of boys. And I get the sense that Alice is not a virgin. No, I mean, like I said, I'm pretty sure that she and Steve are hooking up. Yeah, um, yeah, they're getting it on. So, like, uh, Alice, uh, in that sense, then, it's not that she fits some specific morality. It's just that she seems more alert. 
-hmm. and was lucky. Like any of the others could have felt that alertness had they not been killed so early. Mm -hmm. But yeah. because all the others get killed in front of her, she experiences this alertness. She is more anxious. She is paying more attention to her surroundings and she's able to defend herself. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, I don't think because all the future Friday the 13th do work off of the idea that you die if you're immoral. Mm -hmm. This movie doesn't say you survive if you're moral. This movie says you survive if despite the fact that you are immoral, you're paying attention. Yeah, exactly. Which, again, that's Laurie Strode. That's entirely Laurie Strode, too. Yeah, exactly. So uh, this this movie, I think, does a good job with some of the characters. But you're right. Like, there are characters in this that you could just toss out at any moment and nobody would care. No. What do you think about our, our town resident crazy man, Ralph? Well, I like his aggressiveness in stopping people to tell them about their doom. <laughs> He's all about it, dude. It's got a death curse. A death curse. Camp blood, they call it. I think that he's an awesome character. Now, I want, and I was just thinking about this last time that we were watching this flick, man. Uh-huh. A movie that I really want to see because Ralph, you know, Ralph is clearly around the same age as like Betsy Palmer. Yeah, they're about the same age, I would say, yeah. I like to think somewhere that there is a prequel waiting to be made about perhaps the time that him and a young Mrs. Voorhees like were maybe at camp at the same time because Camp Crystal Lake has been open uh -huh. since the 1930s, I think. Yeah. I think it would be really fucking sick if we learned... You could even do it in the same story, dude, about maybe the time that they were at camp together when they were younger. Maybe as campers, maybe as... I guess they'd be there as counselors, actually. But I would love to see a movie where we learn what drove Ralph crazy and also maybe even how uh, Ms. Voorhees got pregnant. Hmm. Like, I think that there's a there's a story somewhere in there. And it's like you could even, of course, you don't have to bring Jason into it, you know, by any means. But it's like it could just be called, you know, Crystal Lake and be all about maybe the, the cursed history of this piece of land or something like this. Like, it's just kind of like the Overlook Hotel or something in The Shining. Like, it's just a haunted, cursed piece of land that is sort of a nexus for bad stuff to happen. And almost like Jason ended up being, you know, that incarnate or something. I think that could be really cool. That's sort of waiting to happen. I like that idea a lot. Yeah. I think it's possible that there's more of the story in the comics because I know in the there's a Friday the 13th Pamela's tale. Oh, that I is read that. that is about the mom and about the pregnancy and I I I think Ralph is in it. I think I read that earlier. Sick. So th there might be some backstory there. I know that the comic books have really built on the the whole story and legacy of the Voorhees so like I would like to see that on screen I you were saying earlier that there was like a comic book equality to the slow motion element sure I think that there's a comic book equality to the the sequels in general mm -hmm. like in one of the sequels uh, uh there's a telepathic girl versus yeah. Jason yeah. like Jason gets superhuman powers in uh, Friday the 13th Part 6. Like Totally, yeah. He, there, there's so much about it that lends itself to comic books that I think, you know, I, I'd love to see the comic book stories adapted into further Friday the 13th movies. 
Yeah, definitely so. That would be that would definitely be really cool to see, man. Yeah, I think that there's there's something cool waiting to be heard about the the early history of, of Crystal Lake. So I would like to read those comics and check those out and see if it ever goes into those. What do you think about the uh, the kill scenes in this flick? Kill scenes are always kind of the yeah the real treat of a thirteenth series movie. What do you think about the kills in this one? Well, uh, I really enjoy them. I am surprised. I was surprised to learn that the uh the throat slitting yeah. of the the girl who was coming to be the cook yeah the makeup for that took 30 minutes for real did they just like put fucking minutes. silly putty on her neck or something no some, some lunch yeah, meat, it was, some ham no it was tom savini doing uh just amazing work in 30 minutes like you watch it uh i watched it on uh high definition blu-ray quality download and um let me tell you it looks good it does like no matter how high def you watch the uh the movie every single one of the kills still look good and that's that all comes down to like the the neck appliance that she's wearing there and it's the same with Kevin Bacon's you know arrow neck appliance like uh-huh they color matched the actor's skin extremely well that takes a super keen eye to be able to do that because you're right there's a lot of these old horror flicks where you watch it in a better definition copy and you can see it's like oh man like that guy's arm is totally a different color no wonder it got chopped off it's obviously fake and stuff like that but these do hold up really really well they color matched them beautifully yeah um so the kevin bacon kill is awesome yeah but one that I really like is uh, the the hatchet to the face. Oh, that's the best. That's the best one in the movie, dude. Yeah, because the you get the great hatchet to the face, but also the the girl like really goes for it. Her head like hits that wood. I know. Like, yeah. It's like damn, she really played that well. It looks really real, man. The way that it that axe like it's not like the axe like cleaved her head in twain. It's like it is sunk. No halfway into her head and it's like she's got blood everywhere and stuff yeah you're right she totally goes for the fall and stuff like that i think that's a shockingly gory uh kill very very highly realistic again that's one of those like combat photograph (laughs) definitely uh uh, definitely kind of benefited his uh his expertise in putting that together it looks really good yeah and it it shows a knowledge of of death and the human body i mean i think people need to go like if you want good horror, you you don't have to uh, make it like everything overly gritty and realistic. Yeah. But you do have to get the kills right. Yeah. Like people people want that's our morbid curiosity with the kills is we want it to look right. And so if there's too much blood or not enough blood or if it yeah. looks like well that wouldn't have done that like that wouldn't have caused that much damage or that didn't cause enough damage like what tom savini has is this like eye for what something like that the weight of an axe being swung by a 61 year old woman hitting a head like what that would look like how deep it would go like yeah it wouldn't just make somebody's head explode it would get it would get stuck in the tightness of the bone and the brain tissue and so on and just stay glued to that person's head as they fell back like yeah yeah, it does it does not look 
hokey or, or fake or unrealistic. What do you think about um, about Miss Voorhees' kill, her decapitation? <laughs> I, like, I, like, I mean, like... How about them toothpicks, dog? <laughs> Obviously, like, it's not Betsy Palmer, so, like, they do the slow-mo, but they do the slow-mo from the moment, basically, that the machete is chopping through the fake head, and it looks really good. Like, it looks like a, a, a good cut with like a cross section of, of you know skin and muscle and bone and stuff oh yeah trachea and stuff sticking out of there and, and the way the head flies like it kind of i don't know like yeah i don't tight. know i i don't know if a head would do that necessarily but maybe it would like heads way you know uh, the kid from Jerry Maguire told us eight pounds. So, uh, I don't know if it would from the impact of that. Maybe, maybe not, but I like, it looked cool for sure. And you can see, and I didn't notice it, I think until I watched that crystal Lake memories thing, but yeah, whenever it shows the, the close up of after the head has been chopped off and the body is still kind of standing there in slow motion and the hands, which mm -hmm. are again, man hands, it's not Savini, it's his assistant. Oh, okay. Because uh, Savini swung the machete. It was his... I can't remember what he what he said his assistant's name was on this. He just kind of gave a one-word name. I can't remember who it was. Uh, but you see the man hands kind of working in the air and stuff. But yeah, you can see they affixed the neck stump to the fake head with just like a few toothpicks. And if you look, <laughs> you can see those. And I got to say, though... I respect the fuck out of the fact that they haven't gone back and digitally blurred those out. You know, it'd be oh, yeah. so e it'd be like a five minute fix to do digital, but yeah. they've left it in there because, like, fuck it, that's part of that's part of how that that looked on screen. I really like too how like leading up to that, you know, Alice and Betsy, they're kind of like fighting on the beach and stuff there, and it's a pretty it's a pretty good fight scene. She's kind of manhandling Alice a little bit, like bashing her head into the fucking sand and stuff. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, she's got the machete. She's on top of her. And then the machete kind of flies a few feet away. And Alice ends up over there by it. And she and Betsy Palmer are probably separated by, like, 10 feet or so. And Alice goes full aggro and picks up that yeah. machete. She doesn't it's run awesome. away. Yeah, she doesn't do, like, the Lori Strode, like, stay back. I warned you or no, anything like that. she like, goes for it. She runs at her with that machete. Uh -huh. And there's a scene where Alice it shows... Alice is a badass. Oh, dude. It shows Betsy Palmer. And you can tell, like, her as... She's as surprised. Yeah, she's kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, she's coming <laughs> at me. Coming in hot. Uh-huh. I love that, man. Yeah, it's so good. And, like, again, kudos to Pets Betsy Palmer. She, like she had a long career up to this point oh yeah apparently her car broke down she needed ten thousand dollars to fix <laughs> her car and she got the call from her agent the next day offering her this part she said uh as long as they'll give me ten thousand dollars i'll do it i can buy volkswagen she read the script she thought nobody will ever see this but still she went to set she gave her all like there, you see her doing some of these stunts you see her wrestling on the beach yeah That's totally her betsy palmer 61 years old and she's going at it and then like in interviews she's never had anything bad to say about anybody doing the film she's always talked positively about the film she said that like uh, sean cunningham was a great director really helped pull good things out of her for mr Voorhees. Like she didn't have to be there. 
She, I mean, she wanted to fix her car, but she didn't have to be there. Well, I mean, she said she said in some interviews that she thought that like the movie was 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 pretty shitty, and she didn't really understand why anybody liked it as much as they did. But yeah, <laughs> but you're right. It, it's amazing to see that she is such a professional that she was like, you know what? I'm literally only doing this so I can afford a car. I think the yeah. movie sucks, but I'm gonna show up and fucking work my ass off. Yeah, and give everything I got to this movie because she does such a good job, man. The scenes where she's like kind of going full like you know Gollum Schmeagle and being like killer Bobby uh-huh. and stuff like uh-huh. that it's so good she has a genuine like craziness in her eyes and shit it's very believable yeah and she like her image up to this point was completely goody goody like like everything she had ever done she had been like a positive character and right. like she was always seen as like you know this sort of like sweetheart yeah so to to go at this and to really like just uh, be the villain. That's really cool. I'm this glad makes me want to see it. a movie where like fucking Sandra Bullock is a killer in a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I would love because I hate that you know so many uh, horror movies that come into theaters now are all big Hollywood. Like you can yeah. still see great horror movies. They're just indie horror movies. You'll see them on Netflix, etc. Totally. But like, uh, they'll all have big names in them. It's like, I don't want to see big names, but if I do see a big name, I want to see them doing something different. Yeah. Like, I, wanna, I would love to see Sandra Bullock being, you know, the insane person or whatever. Like, I would love to see that. That would be much more interesting than seeing just like, you know, these big name teenagers who are all way too attractive playing the roles. Definitely so, man. And I'll, I'll mention too, I think the soundtrack to the movie is dope. Of course, we have the... The, the extremely, extremely famous, you know, soundtrack yeah. thing, uh, which is uh, iconic. I mean, to say the least, it's super, super iconic. But even the other musical bumps and stuff in the movie, I think, are really cool. And there's even some neat stuff like, uh, again, that ending scene where she's sitting there there in the canoe before Jason jumps out of the water in that dream sequence. Um, the music that's playing there is super, like, dreamy and kind of serene and stuff. Uh-huh. Really yeah. pulls you in very nicely. I think all the musical stuff in this movie is really good. Yeah, Harry Manfredini, uh, who did most the music for all of the Friday the 13th yeah. sequels too, like he does such a good job in the sound in this. Like the the music and the sound play such a huge role, Definitely. especially because as we've been saying, there are large segments where like there's no dialogue. Right. So it's just background noise and like these you know like uh sounds of uh nature and things it's really uh really effective in bringing you into feeling like you're in the woods the cool thing is though it doesn't make you scared of the woods like yeah it makes you feel like you do when you're in nature so like i even at certain points like when uh there's the dude uh bill is painting i i could almost smell the paint like right. you can s- almost smell the 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 green and the the water like you can mm-hmm. almost smell it like the the way this movie comes together with the sound and the visual and everything it it really captures exactly what they're going for so it has some flaws but it really was put together well. I know what you mean, and I totally agree, because even though the movie was set, of course, in New Jersey, like, 
you know, uh-huh. me, me and Steve grew up in East Tennessee, so it's like that's we, what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we grew up all uh-huh. around fucking you know woods and lakes and campsites yeah. and shit like this. Like I didn't really do much camping or anything as a kid, but it's like we would go out to the lake and go out to the woods and stuff uh-huh. all the time. So to me, yeah. this is very familiar. You know, eastern side of the country kind of turf. That's exactly what it reminded me of, yep. and like. I, I never went to any sort of summer camp or anything, no. and I, I also wasn't a churchgoer as a kid. So, like, uh, you know, uh, having these uh, events out in the woods with lots of people in one area, like, I don't remember that, but I do remember playing with my cousins in the woods and at the lake, and it's exactly like this. Um, and so it seems serene, and that's why I, I think I really enjoyed it as a kid because that's exactly what we did was go playing in the woods mm-hmm. and then watching these movies, it makes that a little more dangerous. And it yeah. makes it, I mean, you know, as a kid, it's scarier, but it's also more fun because it's like, okay, what could happen? So we didn't stop going playing in the woods, but it, it made it more like, ah, there's a, there's a little darkness out here. There's a little something... So that, like, when you build a fort, it's like you can pretend, like, this fort protects me from that. Yeah, <laughs> from the shit that I saw happen in that movie. Yeah, it's so, like, as a kid, like, I remember having so much fun because of that, that now, as an adult, I think, like, oh, obviously, you know, all that anxiety would just drive me crazy, but as a kid, it's just like, oh, no, this is so fun, this is so cool. Well, because as an adult, the things that really scare you are like, I know I'm not going to get killed by Jason Voorhees. I'm going to get killed because my senators don't want me to have affordable health care. <laughs> I'm just going to get yeah. some normal I'm, ass disease and fucking die. I'm going to get killed because I live close enough to North Korea. Like, <laughs> Yeah, or, or that. Yeah, exactly. Those are the real fucking threats that we live with uh-huh. this day and age. Not Jason Voorhees. So, Steve, overall, now we've kind of gone through a lot of the things about this movie that we find interesting. What are your final thoughts on this flick and your final rating on a scale of, let's say a one to a 10 sort of scale. Okay. We're going to stop at 10. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Deck no scale. Got no it. more, no less. <laughs> so, okay. This movie in particular, Friday the 13th, it has all of the elements that I really love about Friday the 13th movies with Jason in them. But it doesn't have Jason. Right. So I know that it's the first one and that you can't think of Jason as missing in this. But uh, I feel like Jason's missing. I, I want Jason, even though uh, Mrs. Voorhees, Betsy Palmer plays really well. And Mrs. Voorhees is very creepy. And... I, I really love so much about this movie. I, I do love more uh, movies with Jason in them. So I, I can't say that I think this is the best Friday the 13th. Definitely. But as a horror movie, I think it's good. I think yeah. it's really good. I think that uh, I've said so much already. The direction, the writing the the music the special effects all that is great there is some good acting in it and there also uh you know there's some characters who just don't have much to do so like we don't see if those actors are good or not right uh and that actually is interestingly enough i would say steve and, and bill 
are the two who have the least going on. Absolutely. And and then and then uh, Kevin Bacon's character doesn't have anything going either. So the male characters are kind of boring. Right. The female characters have more to them. Uh, so it would be nice to see the male characters written a little bit better, but also maybe just cut them down to two characters instead of three or, or whatever, just to have... I don't know. I don't know, like, if we need much more than uh, Ned the asshole and uh, and Steve the owner and then maybe Kevin Bacon's character just to get killed early. Well, again, that's 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 why I think the burning is so effective, too, is because there's yeah. a lot of characters in that movie, but I do feel like everybody has yeah. a unique identity, I think. Yeah, I think, no, I think you're right. That's, I think, a, a definite, like, problem with this movie is that there's a less identity for the male characters. Sure. Still, uh, it's a great movie. Yeah. And uh, definitely will... Uh, anybody who likes camp slashers, and I'm a huge fan of camp slashers. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, anybody who likes camp slashers is going to enjoy this one. Um, I think in the end... I've seen this movie so many times and I, I can't pretend like I won't watch it a million more times and every time still enjoy it. So for me, this is uh, an eight and a half out of 10. Wow. Okay. So that's a, that's a pretty strong kind of rating there. And I can, uh, you I know can what? understand. Let's go ahead and say eight. <laughs> eight okay, and a half eight. is too strong. <laughs> eight out of 10. I can, I can buy that man because I'm with you. Like this is a movie that, to me, it, it has a lot of flaws, and I think it has a lot of things, filmmaking and writing-wise, that I can tell are are pretty immature as far as somebody yeah. not having a complete, really established vision, you know, in a lot right. of ways. But I'm with you. I fucking love a camp slasher movie. Like I'm wearing a Sleepaway Camp t-shirt right now as we record this, <laughs> and so many of my other favorite horror flicks are camp slashers, so... I can't help but love it. I know that I'll watch it a million more times, but I can't lie. It's not perfect, man. Like I said, there no. are, as you said, a lot of characters that are really useless and could be condensed down or just expanded upon, you know, and made more individual. I think that there's some really weird pacing in a lot of parts of the movie where you could tell that they were just trying to hit that, you know, it's technically a movie if it's 80 minutes long or whatever, so... Rather than just show this car drive off, let's show it drive off all the way down the road. Rather than show Ralph <laughs> get on his bicycle, let's show him get on his bicycle and pedal all the way fucking down the road. It's like, uh -huh. there's a lot of scenes, like even like Bill inspecting the generator and stuff like this, where it's like, man, this is weirdly long. That coffee scene that we like so much, it's like, yeah. it is still... It's too long. It's it's weird. It's it's mm. like, I, I don't think that scene is too long, but I think it about... It probably like, doesn't need to be there. Well, when you could have spent two and a half more minutes of this movie, which is a pretty short flick anyway, but when you have a couple precious minutes, you could spend establishing something about the characters and having useful scenes. Unlike this fucking killing a black snake in a cabin scene, which doesn't, yeah. it doesn't establish anything about any of the characters. Like, it's not like it establishes that Alice is scared of snakes and then later Miss Voorhees fucking fucks with her with a snake. You know, it's, it's not even, uh -huh. it's not an Indiana Jones kind of thing. Right. Um, there's some useless stuff where it's like, okay, you really could have just been developing these characters better instead. So 
again, I can't lie. Flat characters, there's some weird pacing in there. The fact that Ms. Voorhees shows up just kind of out of nowhere at the end of the movie, <laughs> that's that's kind of weird. I mean, that, that kind of breaks that whole that whole thing about don't introduce a new character in the third act. That's kind of a huge no-no for story writing. Yeah. What about the fact that she's, she uh, apparently drives the Jeep that Steve also drives? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same it's Jeep. The same fucking Jeep, man. <laughs> same thing. Yeah, so there's there's some problems. There's some problems there, I would say, but I can't lie, man. I like it. Like I said, it's like I love a camp slasher uh-huh. kind of flick. I will watch this many more times. I like the fact that it turns out the killer is this sweet old lady. I think that that's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, so overall, I think I would probably have to rate this one. You know, I'm actually going to say like six and a half. It's a six okay. and a half. It's, it's enjoyable, but yeah. it it is flawed, I think in a lot of ways, but I'll watch it many more times. And the fun thing about it is, is it sets up the real fun, which to me is like, I think, I think Friday 13th, two through five are just an absolute blast. So fun to watch, man. <laughs> they're, they're not scary by any means, but those are just really fucking fun, fun movies. I'll look forward to covering those on our show too. So oh, yeah. we'll, we'll definitely do those in the future. But yeah, for this one, six and a half. Two things that I forgot. One, Ralph, ultimate hipster. Yeah, dude dresses like uh, you know with vests and uh, and jaunty caps it's true. and uh, rides a fixed wheel bike. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but number two, and this is a theory I have, and if you've stuck it out for this long, this is well worth it. At one point, Alice runs into like a garage thing, and there is a wall of guns. All of the camp counselors as i understand it seem to be uh comfortable white kids and steve as we know spent twenty five thousand dollars refurbishing this camp and on a two dollar and 25 cent uh check left 75 cent tip so this guy's balling it's true they said that they're bringing in disadvantaged kids to the camp is this camp a hunting lodge for rich people? Oh shit! Like you're saying, like the 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 most dangerous game, like they're people hunting. Yeah, disadvantaged children is what I'm saying they're doing. Oh my god, that would be so sick! And then they're gonna take them to Mars and molest them, Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I have my shirt off right now and I'm yelling at the camera. I'm wondering if there's any pizza in this movie at any time. I'm trying to think about it. Oh shit. <laughs> Did they get their pizza from DC like Victor Salva? It might be that way. <laughs> anyway. Shit. Well, I look forward to watching the other ones to cover them on the show because I think that once we get Jason, that's when the real that's when the real oh. fun that's when the real fun begins. So we'll definitely cover those. I checked it out. Jason's birthday is, of course, June 13th, 1958. This June 13th, 2018, next, the next one, that is, uh, is a Friday the 13th. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, so Jason's 60th birthday is Friday the 13th. Oh, dude, that's fucking cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Really rad. Well, Steve, what are we going to cover on the show 
next week for our October Halloween madness. Well, it's about damn time that we got to child's play. We're gonna talk about old Charlesy. We've we've done we've done Michael Myers, we've done Pinhead, we've done Freddy Krueger. We we technically have done something about Jason Voorhees. True. We gotta get to Chucky. Awesome. Now that's the movie that we talked about about the the serial killer that enters a real doll and gets fucked yeah. to death, right? Yeah, and then he gets fucked to death. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> he just gets fucked uh, into disintegration for eternity. <laughs> That's so metal. Like, no, That's no matter how much the plastic just like gets all like uh, moldy Janked and up. shit, he's still in there just <sighs> suffering. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, yeah, you guys be sure be awesome. to you guys be sure to tune into next week's episode. We'll be talking about the original Child's Play just in time for the uh, is it Cult of Chucky movie that's coming out? Yeah, Cult of Chucky. Uh, I haven't even watched the trailer for it. Have you? No, I doubt. I doubt. I'm very interested in seeing it. I I'll tell you this already: the Child's Play one I do like, but most of the Child's Play movies, it's like, eh, I don't know. I watched this again for uh, for, for the first time in a long time, probably about I don't know a month and a half ago, and I really enjoyed it. So I'm gonna enjoy watching it again for the show with a more critical eye. So you guys yeah. be sure to tune in to that one there before the release of the new child's play flick and in the meantime you guys be sure to drop us an email dropping uh some suggestions about what movies we should be covering on the show next time what's the email they can reach us at steve uh dead and lovely pod at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram or twitter at dead lovely pod and we also have a uh a group on facebook you guys also be sure to go on iTunes and drop us a review and rate this podcast. Hopefully a high rating if you enjoy it. Uh, rating and reviewing the podcast really helps us show up on searches and stuff like that. So if you enjoy our show and the time and work we put into it, please be sure to go on iTunes, rate and review. Just keep it G-rated or else they will not post it. You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars if you'd like to follow me on there. Where can they find you, Steve? At Stephen Spratling, Stephen with a V, the only way to spell it. Oh, man alive. Well, in the meantime, we will see you guys next week where we'll be talking about Old Child's Play. Uh, and thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. You guys have been just absolutely goddamn divine. Meanwhile, me and Steve have been dead and lovely. Goodbye, y'all. Kill, 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 kill. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, 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 ha.